relationship of the first wife to the subsequent wives is, I mean, obviously it's it's great dramatic fodder, especially for for chamber opera, where you can, um, you know, explore in a really intimate way the dynamic, the really complex dynamic of you know of those relationships. Um, and I think for me, uh, it, things didn't really click for me until I went, you know, back to the to the pioneers, the female pioneers of of plural marriage, uh, to the first first wife, Emma Smith. And, um, I mean, Joseph Smith had over 30. So believe me, there was, there was more than enough, more than enough women to, to canvas and research. But, uh, what really surprised me and, and took me by surprise was how, uh, difficult it was for her to, to accept the principle of plural marriage. Uh, you know, you would expect the founder of the faith, you know, she believed he was, not only did she love her husband, but he is a prophet of God. And uh, it's not your typical Bible parable where, you know, where, where the angel came down and said, let it be so. And everyone, you know, and there was this just sort of just, just acceptance. She really struggled with it. And, uh, you know, as a first wife, I think she, there's recorded incidents of her, you know, throwing two of the women out. And uh, one of his other wives, uh, further down the line, um, Desdemona, you don't, you don't forget, you don't forget a name like Desdemona. She, you know, I mentioned having, you know, dreams or nightmares where, where Emma Smith was poisoning her. This is, before, you know, as she was entering the, the household. And I think later, I think Joseph even had to move Emma, uh, temporarily, you know, out of the house. And these are, are hardly isolated incidents. The memoir of Brigham Young's uh, 19th wife, well, she calls herself the, the 19th wife. And, uh, uh, you know, the, the subtitle, the really subtle subtitle is A Life in Bondage, which tells you all you need to know about the content. But um, she, uh, you, you think you could be reading something, you know, you picked up in, in Walmart in, in many ways, in that the, the, just the, just this outpouring of emotion, um, uh, so many of the the stories just just feel so similar, and you know, I also had fun exploring. You know, Nico and I, we both were interested in sort of the not just the first wife against you know against the others and and that dynamic, but but the the more complicated you know the darker interior relationships. You know, sisters marrying the same man. I mean, it happened with Joseph Smith. I think it was uh, Liza and Emily Partridge, uh, I believe. Uh, mother daughters marrying the same man um so and 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 people know so little about these these women that i think there's a misconception of um again that 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 all of these women just sort of you know went in willingly and you know with open hearts and there's story after story of of you know zina and and i think almera were the ones who joseph smith's wives who who, you know, there, there's a story that's recounted by many of them where, where essentially Joseph comes to them and says, look, you know, I'm having trouble with accepting this too, but, you know, basically an angel of God is visiting me and telling me that, you know, he's going to slip my throat. He says, there's a sword over me. And, you know, if you do not accept this marriage proposal, um, you know, I'm basically it's, it's, I, I'm going to be killed. And it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable to see the the just the struggle that so many of them have, and you know, there's there's two 14 year old girls. Helen, I believe, was 14 when when you know she sort of 
essentially even describes herself as sort of a, you know, a lamb being, you know, her father, you know, made the sacrifice giving herself to, you know, promising her to, to Joseph Smith. And uh, another interesting sort of uh, emotional link between all of these women, you know, both the women who escape uh, or try to try to, you know, who, who leave plural marriages and those who stay is, uh, I talked about this with, you know, Rebecca talks about this a lot, our director. Uh, is there's just, just a, a sense of pervasive loneliness um, uh, for all of these women. Uh, and uh, and again, it's it's that faith for so many of them, that unshakable faith. It's, it's, you know, you learn it's not about, for many of them, it's not about, you know, um, it's a kind of selfless, they're, they're giving themselves selflessly to this, to this way of life. So it's not about, am I, you know, this desire to keep sweet. It's not about, you know, your own personal happiness, you know, moment to moment, like what is, what is going to make me happiest right now? But, but just this incredible sacrifice, um, to ensure, you know, something that's much more important to them that they, they and their families, uh, and their husband are going to be united and, you know, for eternity in the next life. Well, the landscape had a, I mean, it had a huge impact on, on the shaping of the libretto. I think, I think, you know, red earth and big sky was sort of the first, first words that I, um, phrases I put on, on paper. Um, randomly I spent when I was 22, right after I graduated from, from college, I went immediately to Cedar city, Utah and spent four months, living in a very small town in, in Southwest Utah uh, as an intern at a Shakespearean festival out there in the middle of nowhere. So it, it was, um, I mean, I completely fell in love with the landscape and it's, it's hours and hours from, from any major city and from, from Salt Lake. So it's really this great gateway to explore the national parks. And, um, uh, but I mean, you'll see that the cliffs and the earth and the night sky play key moments in, in, in all of the drama. Uh, and I think most exciting for me was not having to, you know, being able to conjure all this up in the libretto, not through words to setting it up in a way so that, you know, music can capture it in a way that, that, that words just never could. I mean, words would completely fail to sort of evoke, you know, the the certainly the feelings that I've had when I've been out there, but uh, uh, but more importantly that these characters, the connection that they have to the land, and Nico's done, you know, just these just these strains of fourths and fifths and the sort of the 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 cramped quarters versus the openness, you know, what he's been able to do musically is just is really really exciting. Um, and then in terms of um, on a simpler level. You know the aspect of when I when I traveled to Colorado City, uh, in Arizona. It's it's, you know, just just getting a sense of how, just it's not. You know, we all know that these 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 ranches, the compounds are are far removed, and you know that, that these are designed to sort of set them apart from from the outside world. But uh, you know, it wasn't until I had my GPS and was driving there that I was that I understood you just, you don't stumble into Colorado city. It's just not possible. It's just so hard to get there. It's just physically so removed, you know, with the, you know, the rim of the Northern rim of the grand Canyon sort of on one side, it's, it's just, uh, it is isolated in a way that, that I didn't really appreciate until I was actually there and could see, um, you know, this, 
this really is, uh, <laughs> it's not only an alien landscape, but, but the notion of, of um, you know, a, a group of people and the decision to live so physically removed, it, it's just, uh, that's just, that's just interesting. That's just good drama. Well, yeah, working with Nico has been great because, uh, I mean, first of all, he's, he's so smart about setting text. So it's, uh, and you know, and I, he's a very good writer himself. So the conversations that we could have, uh, uh, about the text as well as the music were, were just fantastic and, and so helpful in shaping, in shaping the story and, and realizing, you know, the, the, the piece's full potential. Uh, uh, but what's been, what's great about creating, uh, creating a story, uh, that's, that's being told musically for me is it's, it's just, it's using a different part of my brain. It's, it's, it's appreciating the fact that, that the music really is, you know, Nico's music is what needs to be doing all of the heavy lifting and the, the real muscular storytelling is, is in the music. And so for me, that's actually been fun. It's, it's almost like a, a puzzle, a sort of a game. And, you know, like there's this passage in the first, in the first act where it was really important to me that we, that we understand the, you know, our heroine's feelings about, she's talking about her father's, the stories that she used to hear as, as a little girl and growing up and, you know, want to do to, to people to know about the, the history and the emotional, you know, what all of the things that it conjures and I ended up, you know, putting down, oh, those stories and Nico took it and, and, you know, it's three, you know, completely on paper, those words mean, you know, absolutely nothing. And of course it's, it was, you know, I think the perfect word choice in terms of giving him a canvas to paint this a picture and, you know, it, you hear it, it's what he's done with it. You get like a rush of adrenaline and, and you're in her mindset and you're feeling, you know, you, you basically get all of this information in these three, uh, you know, ridiculous, um, uh, very simple words. Uh, and that's strangely enough is, you know, is, is an example of, I think, you know, of, uh, uh, of good libretto writing.